Hi, I'm Bill Osmolsky with the McIver Institute, and this is the McIver Newsmakers Podcast. We're joined today by freshman Congressman Scott Fitzgerald, formerly known as Wisconsin Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald. Congressman, how are you doing getting used to that title? Oh, I'm doing fine. We're, we're in good shape and, and very, very busy. So how's it? So going from the Senate Majority Leader to freshman Congressman, you know, what are, what are some of your first impressions? Um, you know, uh, it's got to be a whole different perspective i'm sure yeah i mean for uh as many differences there are uh you know there's a few similarities in in you know being in a legislative body but it's uh it's a much different animal in the 117th congress than um certainly what i saw in in my last session as uh, a wisconsin state senator and as majority leader back back home yeah so i mean like first of all i mean how does the um you know, the Republican-Democrat uh, dynamic, how, how does it compare in Washington to, you know, what you're used to in Wisconsin? Well, I, I you know, I was used to 33 members of the state Senate, and, and now that you're at 435 in the House, it uh, you just understand kind of the magnitude of how how it is having so many more members as part of the House and, and uh, how people kind of move in coalitions and and obviously smaller caucuses than i certainly experienced in the state legislature and that's that's very obvious to to me and i think to many of my cohorts that are also freshmen in in this class you know so how's it going from top dog to uh freshman congressman it's different i i would say probably the the one thing that just sticks out in my mind is i i did kind of uh, grow to, to, uh, you know, embrace the idea that I got to kind of set the schedule. Uh, and certainly that's not the case out here in DC. Uh, you're, you're literally not only being in the minority, but, uh, this has been in, in, you know, don't take my word for it. Talk to any other veteran member of Congress. This has been kind of a roller coaster ride since January that no one has ever experienced before. So, it uh, it's even probably more complicated than what a, a freshman would experience. Yeah, I bet. Um, not a lot of time to acclimate. And it seems like, uh, you know, I, Democrats seem to be going for broke right now. And it's interesting because they've only got an eight seat majority. So it's not like you could say you really have a, man, a mandate there, you know, two, 219 to 211. Uh, majority. So, I mean, some of the things, you know, we're, I mean, they're just going for everything, you know, $1.9 trillion handout, gun control bills, Equality Act, Pro Act, uh, you know, police reforms. I mean, how, how, you know, what, how, how, how have you kind of been processing all this? Well, I, the thing that's, that struck me almost immediately was when we were told that the vast majority of the bills that we would be voting on between uh, January and one April are bills that that did not go through committee. So there's, you know, basically what you're working with is kind of uh, a rehash of what they did uh, in the 116th Congress or some other version of something they kind of created on the fly versus the regular committee process. So besides the COVID bill, there weren't any uh, even significant markups related to any of this legislation. So it, uh, you know, it's kind of a complete violation of the full uh, process that you would expect as a legislator uh, before you would see a bill 
and an up or down vote on the floor of the House. And, and that's that's something that also has not been lost on on many of the more veteran members of Congress as well as as I talk to them. Now, now, do you feel like there's some kind of strategy with how they're introducing and passing these things or are they just trying to throw in everything they've got? Yeah, no, I think, you know, that Speaker Pelosi and and uh, Steny Hoyer, who kind of explains a lot of the legislation on the floor, I don't think there's any question that they kind of uh, dreamed up a laundry list of far left uh, progressive items. They also used uh, kind of COVID as a way of uh, cloaking a lot of a lot of the stuff that that they're rolling out. And uh, they're going to continue down this path until one April. And then and then we'll see where it goes from there. I'm not sure if kind of all of their uh, policy uh, will be completed. But, you know, most people think they're going to return to something uh, more of a, a normal schedule after that, but but that's uh, yet to be seen. Yeah, why slow down? Talking about you know some of the things that they've wanted to do for a long time, it seems like they really snuck it into that uh, quote unquote American Rescue Plan. Um, you know, what were some of your thoughts on uh, on that 1.9 trillion dollar package? Yeah, I mean, beside it just being rushed through and in a very partisan process. Uh, you know, the one the one committee that really sticks out for me and I ended up on three committees, but education and labor, the markup on that portion of the bill was uh, 13 and a half hours. It went into the uh, wee hours of the morning. And, it, you know, it just I could tell it, as somebody that had served in a legislative body before, you, you can tell when when things are just absolutely being rammed through and and that was the case with that portion of the COVID-19 bill. And then to discover later on uh, through the budget office that, in fact, you know, very little of that entire package was related to COVID. The vast majority of it were items that either members wanted back in their districts or overall policy changes that that probably couldn't survive the scrutiny of a separate piece of legislation or or, um, you know, a hearing, <laughs> you know, it seems almost ridiculous, but just to have uh, a hearing and, and take some testimony from from witnesses on some of this stuff would uh, what I think uh, been very valuable. And it, it would allow, I think, the, the minority to have just a uh, even a small voice in in some of this legislation that now is being ran through. Now, you know, it's. One of the one of the differences that that uh, from D.C. obviously from Madison is um, Madison. You have a budget. If you wanna if you want one point nine trillion dollars, you better have it in a bank account, you know, uh, or or that or be able to issue that amount in bonds. I mean, is there any thought on you know where does this come from? I know it's a pretty fundamental question, but you know it's it's, it's worth you know talking about. Right, and, and you know, I ran for Congress on the idea, and following obviously a very frugal member with with Jim Sensenbrenner. I mean, I ran on the idea that we were going to try and get the federal debt back in check. And, and I'm not going to say that, you know, because I was in the same situation a year ago where we didn't know what we were up against. Uh, the medical community didn't know what we were up against. Uh, the federal government, in, including the White House. I mean, we were. We were all very um, 
kind of on our heels trying to figure out how bad or, or what this would look like. So, you know, the original CARES package, uh, I think, was warranted and needed, not all of it, but certain parts of it. Uh, but then after that, you know, it became kind of a question uh, that you started to, to question the validity of, of these other COVID packages. And, and this last one, uh, you know, obviously uh, just continues to drive the federal debt to a level that, that makes, I think, should make all Americans uh, very nervous. I mean, some people chalk it up to, yeah, okay, it's it's the next generation will have to pick up the tab. But, you know, we could see some a, a dynamic where if the debt continues to rise, and now there's talk of uh, of a infrastructure package that would just be heaped on the rest of this. Um, you know, you could see changes to inflation. You could see changes to interest rates that could have a direct effect on Americans. And, and that might be, you know, that might be the wake up call. But, um, you know, I, I am concerned at this point that the level of debt is is too high. Now, um, some of the other big issues there, you know, have a direct impact on um not just, you know, um, not just Wisconsin, but, you know, a lot of the work that you did here in Wisconsin. You know, we've got H.R. 1, uh, which would essentially take a lot of the election reforms that we've implemented in Wisconsin and just, you know, you know, negate those, get, hand that right over to the feds. And then, uh, you know, also you got the PRO Act, which would end right to work in Act 10. So, I mean, how are your feelings, you know, having work, been so instrumental in a lot of that stuff here in Wisconsin, going to D.C. and, and seeing it all kind of up for grabs? Yeah, it's just, it, it absolutely is kind of a different perspective that, uh, you know, I value. And I know some other members of the freshman class that are that are uh, that were lawmakers at the, at the state level. They kind of have the same feeling you you've watched it from a different angle and now you understand kind of the process uh, to some extent. I mean, we're still freshmen and and, and very, very new to this process, but you, you do have a little bit better understanding kind of, of how things work. And, uh, you know, you can see kind of how things can escalate on some of these programs and and with the committees I'm on, which are judiciary, education and labor and small business, it's been an eye opener uh, because the issues do sometimes kind of overlap. And I oftentimes am somewhat surprised if if, uh, you know, I kind of have an understanding, uh, especially on education and labor, which has been um, there are similarities on some of the policy that they're working on. I doubt they ask you for much input, though, <laughs> like HR one. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in HR one, I mean, there is, you know, a good example of something that that the states absolutely have control over. And as somebody that was majority leader over the last twelve years, I mean, I've either written or ushered through many elections bills. So when I see HR one on the floor, I'm thinking to myself. Uh, not only is this bad public policy, but it ensconces some of the some of the worst of what you would expect uh, and certainly um, would scrutinize any federal oversight on elections that would exceed their authority. And I, it's quite honestly, I think, unconstitutional. I made that case on the floor of the House. You know, outside of the, you know, the Florida bait, I mean, like you said, there, there's really been no committee uh, deliberation over this stuff. I mean, what kind of conversations take place in Washington over these controversial bills? Is it, 
are people kind of, you know, kind of mum about it or and just, you know, try to do their job the best they can? Or, I mean, are there like heated conversations about this, you know, behind the scenes? No, you end up kind of relying on either the conference, your own staff, uh, discussions with some of the more veteran members of Congress that have already seen these bills in one form or another, uh, certainly in the committees. Uh, you know, the ranking members oftentimes will put out uh, some type of memo that kind of describes it. But but no, I mean, there's no process. There's no there's no kind of probing that's done at the committee level that that otherwise would expose either, you know, some of the weak spots in the legislation or, or you know, things that could be done at the committee level to strengthen it or bring it closer in line to be a bipartisan bill. And and uh, I mean, that's just not happening right now, which is which is why you see kind of this um, this process that that quite honestly is is sometimes kind of a sham. Is there I mean, is there much like conversation across the aisle like, you know, hey, Mark, come on, you know, this isn't good for for Wisconsin. No, I you know, uh, Pelosi has her troops, you know, kind of in line and and there's been a couple of amendments, but very little uh, that that they don't know kind of where the votes are. I mean, the biggest kind of question mark has been quorum. And that's because since they went to proxy voting, uh, you know, there's many members of the Democrat conference that aren't even on the floor uh, when they're voting on these things. So you watch the tallies as they kind of pile up and, and, and wonder if there's enough people there to pass something from time to time. But no, I mean, there, there's very little discussion uh, you know, a little, a little, I, I will say a little bit of lip service from some of the majority members in the committees that I'm serving on when you do come up with a good amendment or a good idea, like in the markup where they would, you know, kind of pay lip service to it and say, oh, good idea. Let's work together on it. But, you know, deep down inside that that's never going to happen. And, you know, promises made, but they're just not going to be kept. Yeah, it sounds like not a lot of talk just even among the Wisconsin delegation on bipartisanship. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's it's not, you know, I, I won't say it's nasty all the time, but it's certainly, yeah, there's no level of bipartisanship when it comes to actually working in the House right now. So, you know, a lot of these bills have already been passed. Um, you know, the, the, the rescue plan has already, you know, been signed into law, but a lot of them seem to be getting passed in the House and just piling up in the Senate. Uh, is, is there, you know, what's the thought on, you know, what's the way forward? Like how many of these things are going to get through or is, or is it just kind of like it's out the door, forget about it, whatever happens, happens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that's that's very um, obvious. And that is that the divide between the House and the Senate is real, uh, not only physically. I mean, I don't run into U.S. senators walking around Washington at all or even in this even in the U.S. Capitol. But I mean. You know, their process and, and the way that uh, Senator McConnell runs the uh, Republican conference over there, uh, you know, there's they're literally hanging on by a thread and hoping that Senator Manchin is kind of, you know, the linchpin, which he is. He is the linchpin on whether or not a lot of this uh, stuff gets through. And and we'll see how much pressure will build on Schumer, uh, you know, and whether or not he can. um whether or not he kind of stands up and says, you know, we're going to work towards removing the filibuster. I mean, if that happens, I think we're into a whole new area and, and it wouldn't be good for this country. Yeah. 
Um, it just want, I know you're short on time, but there's one last thing I just wanted to talk to you about because I know it's on a lot of people's minds. These National Guard deployments to D.C., I mean, you know, from back home, it looks like Washington, D.C. is like the, a war zone out there. I mean, and then we've got, you know, all those guardsmen who uh, from Guam who marched into that uh, congresswoman's office the other day. I mean, what, what, what are your impressions of everything, you know, all the militarization going on, especially from your military background? Yeah, I mean, I had 27 years in, in the Army Reserves. I did a short stint with the Guard as well. And I kind of know that, you know, these men and women that are here in D.C., and I, and I talk to them every day because I'm walking literally on the inside of that fence. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of them have full-time civilian jobs. And uh, for them to, it, it, you know, and in some ways you think some of these people are just volunteering for the service, but that's not the case. They've actually mobilized some of these guard members that are here right now. And, you know, it, I don't see, put it this way, I, I think it's very difficult uh, to kind of maintain that level of force and have them uh, kind of in a posture that, that leaves them idle all day. Uh, and, and I know they're doing their best to kind of make changes and, and shift troops around and, and they're doing that, but it still is, uh, it's not a good look to have the entire campus of the U S Capitol surrounded with uh, very thick black fence, uh, which is topped off with concertina wire and then troops just on the other side. I mean, I, I'm very hopeful that, um, that they, they make changes to that and make them soon. Yeah, it's really unbelievable. Well, anyway, Congressman, thank you very much for your time today. I know it's a precious commodity with everything going on in Washington these days. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. And uh, thanks to McIver. You guys, uh, you do great work and certainly appreciate you inviting me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening to this McIver Newsmakers podcast. We are joined today by Congressman Scott Fitzgerald. Now be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and visit us at McIverInstitute.com for all your free market news in Wisconsin and beyond. For the McIver Institute, I'm Bill Osmolsky. Have a great day.